I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis. And this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast and to this, the third of several episodes on Maritime Australia. I have begun my odyssey in Fremantle, Western Australia, the location of the truly fabulous Western Australian Shipwrecks Museum and the Western Australian Maritime Museum. In episode one, I spoke with Ellie Spillicom about the Dutch in Western Australia. In episode two, I spoke with Graham Cox about the construction of the replica of the Dyfken, the first European ship to get to within sight of the Australian mainland. And today we're moving on in time a little to hear about William Dampier and his ship HMS Roebuck. Dampier is an extraordinary character. Natural scientist, explorer, bit of a pirate. Well, in fact, a lot of a pirate. He was the first Englishman to explore any part of Australia, as well as the first person to circumnavigate the world three times. You need to think of him as a bridge between the Tudor Francis Drake and the Georgian James Cook. Dampier was born in 1651 and he died in 1715. So he comes from this fascinating period in British history in the aftermath of the execution of Charles I when the world was changing at intense speed. A republic had been declared in England, the Commonwealth of England. It had subsequently failed and the Stuart monarchy had returned. But in those years, ship design had also changed and voyages of immense distance and significance had been completed. The world was poised for someone like Dampier. He began life in the Merchant Navy, he joined the Royal Navy, he fought against the Dutch, joined the Buccaneer Bartholomew Sharp's crew and sailed around the world, all the while keeping a diary that would become one of the most important and popular travel narratives of the period. This book, A New Voyage Around the World, made him famous and soon the Admiralty came knocking. Dampier was given a ship, HMS Roebuck, and a mission to explore the east coast of New Holland, the land we know as Australia. He landed and explored the western and northwestern coasts before heading up and around Australia towards the east. The subsequent tale is a true gem of maritime history. 
not least because the final discovery of the wreck of his ship, the wreck of the Roebuck, was made by the very man I'm about to introduce you to. Please meet Mac McCarthy. Now, Mac has lived quite a life. I think someone should actually do a podcast series entirely on him. So, to give you a little flavour of the man I'm about to meet, by virtue of the astonishingly good luck that he says followed him as closely as a noonday shadow ever since he was born, that he was stolen from his second mother and sent to Western Australia at the age of five. Mac is a former child migrant from Birmingham. He was fostered by multilingual and highly educated English migrants whose generosity and care set him on the road to becoming first a sports teacher and then the Western Australian Museum's Inspector of Wrecks. Now, I've talked a little bit about good job titles before this, and currently David Rooney, who was Keeper of Technologies at the Science Museum, is currently in position at the top of the table for best job titles, but I think that Inspector of Wrecks gives him a serious run for his money. Anyway, back to Mac. Uh, Mac was responsible for the excavation of the wrecks of the Dutch East India ship Zeitdorp, the iron-hulled SS Xantho from the 19th century, the submerged Second World War flying boats at Broome on the northern coast of Western Australia, several submerged jetty sites. He led the Western Australian Museum's HMAS Sydney and HMS Cormoran programmes. He also helped pioneer the study of abandoned hulks, aircraft wrecks and historic submarines, assisting at the wreck of Submarine Explorer, a revolutionary Civil War era pearling submarine in Panama. Now that's something I want to find out more about. But the reason I'm talking to him today is that and I don't know how he found the time, he has also led searches for two of Australia's foremost exploration ships, the French corvette L'Uranie from 1820, and yes, you guessed it, William Dampier's ship HMS Roebuck. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Here is a true cyclone of maritime mania, the colourful, the salty, the fabulous Mac. How did you become interested in Dampier first? Well, Dampier has always been a big one for Australians because he is our first natural historian, 70 years before Banks and Cook. Um, he is the first to describe our natural uh, environment, the first to produce charts of Shark's Bay, as he calls it. And Shark Bay was my second office or third office, uh, you know, for shipwrecks and stuff. Um, and so Dampier was always on our horizon. He's plan was to go to the east coast and see what was on the other side of New Holland but they gave him a ship too late to go via the Horn so he followed the Dutch route and as he's going onto this coast here he goes to New Holland lands at Sharks Bay goes around the top and it's rotting on him and it sinks on his way home so when Alex George wrote the book William Dampier Australia's first natural historian for the third anniversary, we, we decided in Sharks Bay that we would go and hunt for his ship and I would lead the team. And essentially that's what led to this efflorescence of research following a chap called Leslie Marchant in Australia who wrote the definitive book for Australians on Dampier. There's lots of British books and others. Uh, and Dampier came into our horizon then. Yeah. And so that's uh, 1999, the 300th Sharks. He's, he's an interesting character, isn't he, old Dampier? I mean, he, he's, a, he's a proper pirate and a rogue, isn't he? Dampier is all of that. 
a buccaneer in the true sense, a pirate, a privateer, a hydrographer, a natural historian, an author of note, a darn good seaman, a hopeless leader of men, yeah. not a good fighter, it seems. So he's a, an amazing range, and um, there's an, any amount of authors who sort of take which side they particularly like, whether it's the piratical, whether it's, you know, the, the uh, hydrographic, it's, it's whatever they like to focus on, depends on what they're about. And the man shines in, in all except leadership. Yeah. He's astonishing. He did an amazing bloke to admit, to have met. Oh, would you, <laughs> would you have liked to have met Dampier? Yeah. Oh, oh, certainly would have. And a thin man, a little bit like you, um, lots of brains. Because at one stage, he, he's blamed with Captain Swan for taking him on that first voyage too far east into the Philippines, and they're starving. And he writes in his journal that they were going to eat him and the captain because they blamed him unless they came on land soon, yeah. truly. And, uh, <laughs> but he says, uh, Captain Swan said to me that, uh, Dampier, they're going to eat us, but they won't eat you because you're too skinny, <laughs> whereas the captain was lusty and fleshy. So, Very good. Um, so he's, he's a thin, thinnish man, which probably accounts for him living into his uh, late 60s, I think, or 60s there. Um, uh, so he's reasonably fit and won't have a lot of the dietary and other issues that a lot of us more tubby people get, you know. Yeah, yeah so that's damp. I'd love to admit yeah. that. So the, it convinces the British government to give him one of their ships, so he gets HMS Roebuck for this, this second voyage. Dampier, when he comes home, a chap called William Napton, a publisher who just published the first travelogue ever to great acclaim, learns that Dampier had kept a journal, a handwritten journal. And from what we can gather, Dampier gives this to William Napton. And Napton looks at it and thinks, oh my God, I can make a book out of this, another great seller. In which time Dampier then goes off for a bit more privateering and stuff, is lucky not to get caught and hanged because uh, the mutinies and all sorts of things happened. His book comes out, but in the meantime, he's travelling a chap called Geely, a prince, who's completely tattooed head to foot. Where's he from? Geely is from one of the islands in the Philippines, right. Miangas. And he is known to be a wonder of the world. It, the um, Dampier was presented to the king and queen. That's why some people call Roebuck their majesty's ship. Ah, very good. And, um, and, and Dampier says, oh, my God, look what the pirate has bought us. And then when his book comes out, Geely and the book make Dampier famous. And so when he goes to the Admiralty and says, sirs, I can take you to the east coast of New Holland and tell you what's there. But you must give me a ship, and of course, to the to the admiralty to give a ship to a pirate wasn't a good idea. And the first ship they gave him was just useless. And finally, he gets the old fire ship Roebuck at a fifth rate. And as I said, it's delivered too late for him to travel the way he wanted to. It's directly across the Horn yeah. in the winter, so he has to follow the Dutch route. And his ship's rotten from the start. But he is a pirate given a ship. Navy ship, and he has been given Lieutenant Fisher RN as his first in charge. Sorry, just just explain those routes. So he was hoping to go Cape Horn and then um, get to the east coast of Australia. And he has to go the Dutch way, so around the bottom of South Africa, hits the forties, gets blown across to the to, to the west. So the Dutch route, the Brewer route, invented in about 1611, was to go down to the Cape and then across in the 40s and you're blown across a smaller part of the world because it's got less 
of a circumference in the equator, blown across, and you then had to work out where you were by deduced or dead reckoning to know when to head west of north for Sunda Straits. Because deduced or dead reckoning was just guesswork in many ways, you often headed too far late to, and so you, and in his, fir, in his voyage on this particular trip, Dampier almost hit the Abrolhos where the Batavia is today that you're interested in. Um, but he misses that and he goes north around the top towards the east coast. All the time he's going towards the east coast of New Holland. And amazingly, he gets within 100 nautical miles of the east coast before they decide to turn back because the ship's rotten. Wow. Yeah. They must have known that long before. Well, they did, but for some strange reason, they turn back. I think they're heading back to Batavia which then is now Jakarta, of course, which then was a Dutch you yes. know, seafaring uh, city, and they would have repaired the ship in Batavia. Uh, they might have even done a little bit in Timor, who knows? But they then head back home and they sink at, at Ascension Island. Right. And that was my team's job was to go and find Dampier's ship. Where is Ascension Island? Ascension Island. If you look at the coast of South America... Uh, and then head directly north from Cape Horn towards England. You go to St. Helena or St. Helena, where Bonaparte was once marooned, and then go up another halfway just south of the equator is Ascension Island. Right, okay. And uh, it's this tiny thing that actually became a garrison later on to help control Napoleon, but ships often called into Ascension Island. So you knew that... um Roebuck was on Ascension Island somewhere and then you led a team to find it, yeah? Everyone knew that he sank at Ascension because yeah. he was marooned there and three ships came and picked him up and it's in the logs. The challenge for everybody was where on Ascension and over the years the position of the wreck was in various bays um, and the, numerous expeditions went in search for it and all were beaten in trying to find it. Um, so I got a crew together. I, I, I succeed because I surround myself with experts and lead from the back. I'm the weakest link in the chain. And I've, it's done very well because of that. And we deduced where Dampier must have been when he said to the, he came up to anchor with the Sowies trades blowing on this bay at Ascension Island. And he comes to anchor and the, the carpenter comes, Sir, we're sinking. What's going on? So we're sinking. And, and Pretty conclusive. Very conclusive. So Dampier sends the ca- carpenter down to fix it, and the carpenter amazingly cuts out a frame to check where the, the leak's coming from. Right. And, of course, the leak just gushes in. Yeah. And they're up there, Sowies trades, blowing them offshore. They're at anchor, 20 metres of water. And hard to believe, but a wind change came at that moment, and Dampier said, up anchor, down sails, let's go, and ran it straight aground. We deduced exactly where that was um, by just going back to first principles and so on. And the area had been searched before, but we, n- we now knew that was it. Can you and describe the area? Is it a cove or a, oh, a windswept bit of... It, it's a beautiful cove, ironbound, i.e. rocks either side, uh, just north of the main um, port at, at Ascension Island in town, a beautiful sandy beach. Um, and essentially the the prevailing wind blows you offshore so you anchor and sit there. While we were there, one of the Maersk tankers was sitting exactly where Dampier had said he was. Um, And what allowed us to find his ship, it's hard to believe, but we're there at anchor saying, okay, this is where he was at anchor sinking. 
and suddenly we had the breeze change. Really? Com- Amazing. Completely out of the blue. We had to, and I said to all on board, about nine of us, where would you go now? And seven of them pointed straight in and one clown pointed this way. So we went straight in and there we said, this is where it'll be. So we realised that was the bay. Um, and then by sheer accident, all our boats had collapsed and the ones we were going to use, so we decided to dive from the beach. Right. And we ran. Uh, we got to know a man called Jimmy Young, who was a descendant of the slaves from St Helena, who went. And they're the people who populate Ascension, apart from all the fly-in, fly-out army people. And Jimmy had been diving there for, for, for snorkeling and diving for over 50 years. And he had gone diving the week before we came and found that the seabed had totally cleared. Really. Yep. And Jimmy said he'd never seen this happen before. And while he was there, he picked up bits of pottery and stuff. Just where we'd said the ship was, right hard on the beach, crashing seas. So we went in where, uh, where we'd worked it out and, and um, went in. And I set down a series of uh, lanes for people. No GPSs in those days, you know, ship's leads. Out went the divers, Jeff Kimpton and John Lashmar. On the second lane, we found the bell. Unbelievable finding the bell is the first thing you find. Yep, and yeah. then a clam. Clams don't live at Ascension Island. Did it have roebuck on the bell? No, no, no it's got found a broad a arrow, right, okay, a British broad arrow. We'll get to identifying later. Great. Uh, then there was clam. <laughs> so it's a British bell. Yeah, and what seemed to be some eroded cannons. So a clam, well. right, why is that significant? Uh, a Norwest clam, a giant clam. So not from Ascension Island? No, they don't have them And Dampy, we know, collected clams north of New Guinea. He called it uh, uh, Cockle Island, right. Shell Island. And he describes in his journal how he recovered giant cockles from 250 pounds to 20 pounds. Wow. And here we had one of these. How it big was, is it? it? It's about, in my arms there, I can pick it up easy yeah. enough. He's circling his arms nice and wide. As if he's going to not be picking up wide, a dog. Not too wide, yeah, <laughs> a, a medium dog. Um, and and um, he picked these up. And when, when he ran his ship ashore... Uh, he knew he was gone. He runs it ashore and sends, um, and sends a, 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 a drops his anchors uh, and then runs himself hard ashore and then the ship sinks beneath him, he says. And then they got on a raft and he took his journal, which was in bamboo, seal bamboo, took it ashore with his men, gets ashore as the ship settles and sinks up, covering the upper deck. Mm. And this is in 1699, 71, sorry, he's picked up a bit later. He left in 1699. So we think Jimmy and us had found Dampier's ship. And uh, there it was. So I just loved this, just before you go on there, the idea of him collecting clams and him so desperate to save his journal. Because he really was, you know, a man of science and really helped us understand so much about the natural world. Uh, Sam, he's way ahead of everyone yeah. uh, that I've ever come across, and I don't know all the great um, polymaths in the world at that time, of course, but he, he was extraordinary. A collector, a describer of humans and events and places. He wrote discourses on the tides. I would, it, uh, oh, it just goes on and on what yeah. Dampier did. Um, but he decides when he's run ashore what is most important to him, and he collects his journals. Yeah. Again, the sign of a, a, an intellect. Um, and then the clams and everything else are there in the hold yeah. down below in the ship. Now, I told you about the luck with the South East trades changing, so we had the wind to blow us in. But even greater luck than that, a week later, apparently the sand came back 
uh, and completely covered the site again in metres or feet of sand because I sent one of those books to Jimmy um, and, and as soon as we got home but it wasn't received. And one day this chap who's doing a heritage study of the island calls me and says, oh, I met Jimmy Young. Well, I found this book in the administrator's library which you'd inscribed to Jimmy Young, co-finder of the Roebuck, um, and it wasn't given to him. So I said, can we arrange a, a virtual handover? Zoom by now we're in the, the virtual era. And Jimmy says to me, he says, Mac, he says, the week after you left, the sand returned. So the sand uncovered the week before you came, his dive. You dive, got the clam and the bell. And then the week after you left, the sand came back again and has never covered back since. Mm. This is 10 years after the event. So this is the most extraordinary luck which has been a part of my life. The luck follows me like a noonday shadow. You know, <laughs> it, it always has. Um, extraordinary luck. And then uh, there, there is how we found Roebuck, the ship. Yeah. Good luck and good management. And you would you believe that um, when we came back home, we're starting to really research as much as we can about Dampier. And we wanted to find more about Roebuck because there's very little written about the fifth rates. And that's when another one of the strong links in my chain comes along. So my divers, Jeff and John, were there and, and uh, researchers like Philip Goddard or Philippe Goddard and others about where it all was. Myself too, but you know. And then Bob Sexton. Firstly, Hannah Cunliffe from England, who I asked to do a archive search for everything we'd find. Would you believe she found the contract for Roebuck, which had been lost forever, in contracts and certificates as to the injured, the sick and the dead. Hospital records. Contract for building one of the most famous exploration ships in the world. Mm. And so I was able to give this to Bob. And Bob, who's our most noted heritage naval architect, he's done clipper ships, he's done the French exploration ships, done everything. He produced the line drawings for, for Roebuck. Mm -hmm. And then I had this chap, another bit of luck, um, uh, Clive, uh, Clive comes out of the woodwork, I, I want to build a, a model, what have you got for me? And it always happens, you know, artists. Are, oh, I've got this there, can you do this? Oh, I can do that. So then Clive makes this model. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to go inside and have a look uh, at it. Go and have a look. Before we do that, let's just talk about um, how did you identify the wreck? Okay. I've been the museum's wreck inspector for 30 years. So um, my bread and butter, apart from all the, ex the excavations I've done, aircraft, submarines, etc., et is on how to identify a ship where there is documentary and other evidence. Um, and it's actually not rocket science. But you go on things like fastenings, types of anchors, types of cannon which can be dated, uh, things like ship's bells, you do uh, timber analyses. Um, you know, cannons, for example, there, there's just a glorious range of cannons. The armory in, in, in Greenwich has mm -hmm. got ranges of cannons. All you do is you learn your topologies. Same with bottles. Bottles, ceramics, and so on and so on. So you learn that, and then you say, this site here has these characteristics, therefore we think it's that. So this is simply applied to Dampier's ship. Firstly, a bell with a feon, or broad arrow. There is no known Royal Navy ship lost on Ascension Island that had not been found bar Roebuck. Okay. That's number one. Yeah. Then, so, and that gives, and then you have numerous books on bells and stuff which gives us the right dating 
yep. for a fifth rate. Fifth rates didn't have name on them and all that stuff. They were average type ship because they're, they're planned, this one's a plan to be burnt. You know about the fire ship, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, so this is a fire ship. Yeah. So a ship designed to be destroyed. Exactly. Um, so there it is, Bell. Then the next thing is we find the clam. And we know that clams don't live there, so then we have to check the Americans who were there in World War Two. Would they have bought clams? Right. You know, you've got to eliminate. Yeah, you've yeah. got to say possibly, but let's get rid of it. So you had to say possibly with Bell. Surely there's other Bells. No. Clams. Okay, there's Americans cutting stuff from all over the joint. Were they eating clam meat? No. Do they grow here? No. Then we saw ceramics. Now, Jimmy Young, as I said, had picked up ceramics. Magnificent. Blue and white we're bits of. Okay. And we know that on the way back home, Dampier did call into Batavia where he acquired um, ceramics. And we got them looked at by Mike Flecker. So and these are Chinese goods. ceramics. These are top quality Chinese ceramics that you pay good money for. Yeah, yeah. And Dampier was buying them. So there's ceramics there. There was a, what we think are eroded guns, which, as I said, you can help date your guns. We, we did non-disturbance. We agreed to non-disturbance yep. with the administrator, um, Jeff Fairhurst. Um, and so... All these things all out. Oh, and grapnels. Oh, that was the other glorious thing. When the three British ships come in, there's Captain Dampire, as they said, on the beach with his men. So they go in and get him. And they decided to pick up his anchors because they're useful, you know. So in one of the ship's uh, logs, it says, uh, Captain Dampire came on board me. They use the word meter for my ship. Uh, And I sent out a longboat to recover his uh, anchor, in the getting of which we lost a grapple. Right, okay. We find a grapple. Oh, good. That's <laughs> on amazing. That line, on that line. Yeah. And now, okay, that's, that doesn't mean anything, but... So these, see, are, these are things they'll be dropping down into the water, try, hoping to hook... hook a, the, a, hooked, the... a little light hook tanky you have in a rowing boat, yeah, yeah. and you hook your cable, bring your cable on board, uh, there's the anchor, bring your vessels alongside, raise your anchor between the two boats and row it back. Yeah. So they recovered his anchors from Roebuck. And remember those... Still quite a challenge, raising a heavy anchor oh, between two boats. How the, else they, they, do that without, they were good these kind of boats. You should tie So what you do, what you do is here's your phone. I come along either side of your phone, which is on the seabed, very heavy. <laughs> okay. I, I um, try and get cables under it. Uh, and then I tie it up really tight to my boat at the lowest of low tides and, and on the high tide up it comes and I move in a bit. Yeah. You know, you, you can do all sorts of things. They, yeah. These characters, the Dutch and the British, French, they were so good at managing heavy weights and stuff with their ship. And it may be they even were able to get their ship in close. Or I don't know if they'd risk this, but with the South East Trades, wind blowing hard off, you could go in close and winch it up on your cathead yeah, like okay. you do normally. Yeah. All sorts of methods. So on the body of evidence, this is Roebuck. Mm. But what's wonderful is it's gone and covered itself under six feet of sand again. It's there for the future. This extraordinary ship of this extraordinary man with this extraordinary collection. That's the other enormous thing. This ship has a collection from Dampier's voyage from England all the way through to almost the Barrier Reef, collecting all the way and describing, and all the way back collecting in Batavia, lying at Ascension Island. Wow. So went to Jeff Fairhurst, the administrator, lovely bloke, said, um, 
so we, we've, uh, as agreed, we've done a non-disturbance survey, but you've got a bell sitting over there and you've got a clamp here and we're worried they might get lost. But we agreed with the Admiralty non-disturbance and I believe in it fully and nothing to leave the island except photographs and stuff and even those will come back in, in uh, original and stuff. And But I do suggest to you so you would consider raising this as the Queen's representative and as the head of British government. And he gave it due, due consideration, said, I want you to raise them on behalf of the British government. So we did so the next day with the, the, the dive team from the island. Uh, Jimmy Young's there with us, got a beautiful photo of Jim with us with the bell and stuff. Uh, and we raised the bell and the clam. And I said, can we offer to take these to England to get conserved? We sent them to the Mary Rose Laboratories. Yeah. They conserved them, and they also made replicas for us. Right. So the originals have gone back to the island, yeah. and the, we have a replica here. We've sent a replica bell. Jeff Kimpton donated his replica to Broome, um, and, and the rest. So it's all back there, and they've got all the details. So one day, someone's going to follow us. And what happened was we couldn't work out why Roebuck sank offshore where it did but offshore is a line of reefs like my fingers in my hand that come up to within the depth of roebuck's keel right and that's what it grounded on yeah and then when it sank one of those would have penetrated the hull and it went down because the sand is much lower whereas the reef is in line with roebuck's bilge so roebuck is lying impinged on if you see my fingers she's lying impinged in there yeah. under the sand just waiting to be discovered. Um, well, it's we know discovered. It, it's been discovered well, waiting to be... I, I, th I think that's good. I, that, that's correct, really. Here's this mob of colonials who have gone and found it. This is a wreckage plume, which is a classic triangle. There's the ship, there's the bits. Yeah. Where is the actual ship itself? The theory, which one day someone will go and prove, is that it's lying impaled on those rocks, between those rocks. Because... The earliest searchers, when they couldn't find it, believed that after it hit and Dampier got off in a sinking state, the sea breeze, the Sowies trades came back again and blew it back into deep water. Right. But what they didn't know was this massive sand yeah. that had covered it in. Yeah. Well, let's go inside and have a look at this model. Good, eh? Yeah, I'd love to. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, so walking through the, um, through the galleries, past a cannon. Um, and here is the... Here is the magnificent model. Ah, and the replica bell. And the replica clam. Here it all is. Now, um, let's just describe what we're seeing here. It's a little sort of diorama, isn't it? Yes. Um, Bob Sexton drew the ship based on every known fire ship and fifth rate ever made that he could get his hands on and the contract that Hannah Cunliffe had found for us in the hospital records. He then provided the lines drawings, the classic stuff, you can see the quality of it, and Clive Gordon here came to me one day and was looking for a job and he loves model- making models. He'd made others of good quality before. So I said, Clive, if we got Bob's line drawings to you, could you do a Roebuck for us? And he said, yes, he could. Uh-huh. And he started Roebuck according to these drawings by probably one of the world's most em- eminent naval architects, you know, his heritage naval architects. So what we think, therefore, is that if you believe Bob, which I do, we have here an authentic fire ship, fifth rate. Here you see Roebuck... Oh, sorry. Clive wanted to finish it with all its yards and spars and sails. And I said, Clive, no, I'd prefer you finished it at the top mast because we don't want a tension going too high on the model. We want it to stay on the body of the model. And he said, no, I want to do the sales. Oh, okay, fair enough, you're the boss, we're getting this for nothing sort of thing. Well, we didn't know he was going to donate it at the time. Clive got to the stage where he raised all the masts right through to the Tegallants, but none of the spars and yards. And he died, or was dying, and said, I've... Mac, I've, I've got to donate this to the museum. Uh, I would like to, but I want you to finish it for me because I've done a bit of modelling, rough stuff. Um, and I said, Clive, I, I don't know that I want, can finish it because there's an ethical issue. You have a model maker and then you have conservators, repairers, restorers. But leave, will you leave it to me? He said, I'll trust you. So what I did was, and I cheated really because I got my way in the end, I presented his model on the hard, sitting on those blocks which you can see they're ready to float away the minute the tide comes, with the boats and the guns and the anchors ready to be lifted on board using the uh, the, the the main form the the force um, uh, sail. The main, which, the main yard thingy, which they used as like a crane, yeah. and sending up everything onto the ship. And you see that I've only things I've done to Clive's model is added the running rigging for the um, for the um, cranes. I've attached it to the windlass there, which allows you to work it. And we've then there's the sails going up. Uh, the sails here are um, suitably um, dyed using tannin, <laughs> uh, tea, uh, barrels. I've done some um, spars. These are Clive's boats, but in them I've added bits and pieces, and we've given impression of the river mud. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a magnificent model in the sense that it's a kind of a, a moment in time rather than just um, a, a beautiful model of a ship. Well, uh, museology is in my blood, and I also this is a statement. 
of mine that you, you, a museum needs to be alive. Um, and a, muse- a model dead sometimes is too static. Too, you know, this is alive. And it's that good. The, you see here the, uh, the gun ports? Yeah. Do you see the top ones here? They raise up, don't they? Yeah. Do you see the bottom ones? Yeah. They lower down. Yeah, now, yeah. the reason for that is is that if you have the bottom gun ports that lift up and you set fire to your ship to put it through the Spanish or French fleet and the fire catches the ropes, what does the gun port do? Oh, it it shuts. shuts. So you can't do that. And the other great thing is there is no wheel. The uh, helmsman is sitting inside that little house with a with the glass and all he can see is the run of the, the main yard here. Right. And the captain tells him to keep that in, in such a position. And so this, this is a beautiful piece of work based on the research of Bob and Clive's own wonderful skills. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's... Um it's amazingly well decorated for a fire ship. <laughs> well, the fire ships were well decorated. This is where uh, I was very surprised when Bob did his homework, and and you'll find that in in the uh, in the the uh, magazine there. It's how well decorated they were, despite them being disposable, the fire ship. But the fifth rate in itself was not a bad ship. Quite a useful ship in, in all sorts well, of. Well, let's just describe the stern for us, can you? For those who for those who can't see it, I mean, it's it's. Heavily decorated, carved, it, um, some beautifully painted red. I mean, and it's a real statement of um, British naval power. Well, a- again, even in your most elementary ship, you want to state your power, don't you? That's why princes and queens and people like that dress with all the gear. They don't wander around in footy shorts and things. <laughs> um, no, so you have numerous um, figures uh, on the stern at the stern windows, and below it you have other carvings uh, on the rudder head even. You have a, a right up top there, you have uh, coats of arms. Um, and, of course, don't forget we have taken some liberties here based upon the research that, that Bob did yep. of all the others. If you go to all your fire ship models in the collections in England, you will see them all ordained with these glorious um, painted or um, unpainted but varnished um, uh, you know, figures of which we have starting from port to starboard. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, and eight, nine. And then below that, even more. You know, and then you come around the captain's quarters. You see, there's a, 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 an amazing lot of um, of, of work there. Uh, you know, and and then even these laurels. Yeah, they're they, very distinctive. The they period, appear they? on on the ship too. There's no no doubt about. It. And you're coming through, like a lot of your your um, your your, butt, your heads and stuff. They they are carved and ornate, not as much as the vases and the Mary Roses and 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 some of the great ships, Victory and things like that. But it's certainly there. And as you say, it's a manifestation, Sam, of power. Yeah. Now we don't know for a minute that there was that lion figure or these females at the side there. What we've had to do, and Clive and, and, um, and Bob, is say, we think these ones would appear based upon what appeared over there. Yeah. You know. And here we have the replica of the bell. Uh, can you describe what it was like when that finally broke the surface? Well... Everything went wrong when, when we were there, as I said. It always does, we, underwater. We, the boats didn't work and all that. So we landed on the beach and it was a big swell, heavy undercut sand. And so I put in the water a set of planks 
to guide the divers out. I said, stay on that on the way out and come in on this one on the way in and then go in on that one on the way out, just like fair leads for ships in navigation. Mm -hmm. Jeff and John, my two chief divers, they went out on the first one, came back in on the second one, out on the third, and then this yell went across the bay, bell. And Jeff did, as we always do, hand up. That's He's over the spot. And I have to tell you that it was chaos. There are people jumping in half geared up, carrying their tanks, fins. You know, there was a team of about eight of us, three or four divers. How deep is it? Uh, it's only in about 10 metres of water, right, okay. five, 10 metres of water. And there was this bell lying on the reef um, and you could see the hole in the end. You couldn't see the broad arrow this time. And Jeff, uh, Jeff had the camera. He photographed it. I photographed him. And by the way, Ascension Island made stamps for the anniversary. And there's a picture. One of the stamps is Jeff photographing his bell. <laughs> and then the next day after Jeff Fairhurst said we could raise it, we very carefully raised it. Um, and brought it on board, and when we turned it over... How do you do this quickly? How do you, how do you raise a bell? Okay, firstly, you assume it's going to fall in a heap completely. Yeah. You never just put a rope and do that. Sometimes you can if they're, say, modern, but in a case like this, it went down, and Jeff was getting a bit annoyed with me because I was taking half an hour. Firstly, I excavated all the shells and stuff inside because it was on its side, um, not on its head like that. Pulled them all out, put them in a bag, recorded them, and then underneath to make sure it's not concreted to the seabed. Yep. And then once we realised it's not concreted, I was then able to cradle it yep. and then swim up to the surface. And here we have a picture, for example, of the bell on the surface there. So there's Jeff Kimpton with his bald head. Yep. That's the bell as we saw it. Now, see the rocks? Not a bit of marine growth. Right. That tells you it's just uncovered. I see. There's the clam again, Jeff. No marine growth. Yep. And interestingly, when we lifted the clam out of there and put it on its back, the next wave that came through flipped it, meaning that the, the clam has actually come in from the wreck on the, on the thing. Here's my team. It's a wonderful photo. There's, this guy looks like a younger, better version of you. Um, I wouldn't say better. <laughs> I would say... Better um, looking. Be, uh, much better looking, oh, but not better. Now, no, one pay, no one would give us money for this. We had no allowances or anything. Jeff, John, uh, Carmelo Melfi, our um, correspondent, we were on the front page of Australian News for a week <laughs> with this one and Rose de Freysonet's ship, which That's we fantastic. also found in the Falklands. Hugh Edwards, our famous author, the Shara Shark Bay president. What are we looking at here? This is uh, Yurani in the Falklands. So to get to Ascension, you had to go to the Falklands. Yeah. You couldn't just go to one. So we decided, because uh, the story of Rose and Louis de Freycinet at Sharks Bay, she is the first woman to go around the world and tell her story. Oh, I see. We decided we'd that, find that ship too, so we found that. Very good. And here's the team. Where's Jimmy? There he is. Can you see Jimmy there? Yeah, yeah. A beautifully spoken gentleman. Very good. Well, listen, it's a wonderful story, Mac, and thank you very much indeed for sharing it with me. My pleasure. Peter, we haven't got time for a beer. We'll do it another day. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Now, please don't let this be the last thing that you do to interact with our fabulous podcast. Firstly, go to YouTube and find the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube page. It's phenomenal. An ever-growing library of some of the most extraordinary and innovative videos showcasing our maritime past in new ways. Uh, my current favourite is the clever use of artificial intelligence and digital artistry to bring ships' figureheads to life. You simply won't believe it until you see it. 
Uh, please remember the podcast comes from both the Lloyd's Register Foundation and the Society for Nautical Research. And please check out what both institutions are doing. The Society for Nautical Research you can find at snr.org.uk where you can join up. It's well worth doing. A wonderful way to meet people and also learn about the maritime past from the world's very best maritime historians. And the Lloyd's Register Foundation you can find at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk UK and please be certain to search up their latest project Maritime Innovation in Miniature filming the world's best ship models with the very latest camera equipment it really is quite extraordinary Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.